I learned many lessons. And although I talked to a lot of therapists, I also interviewed at least 50 couples who found love in their 50s, 60s, and 70s. And I learned from each of them the journeys that they went on, who was successful, who was unsuccessful, and what they had to do to change. That was Francine Russo speaking about the lessons she learned from therapists and many couples about what it takes to find love after 50. Finding love after 50 is again our focus on this episode, episode number 70 of Looking Forward. Welcome to Looking Forward, where we speak with experts about marketplace and societal trends, and most importantly, how they might affect you. I'm Jeff Ostroff, the host of Looking Forward. If you're like me, you're fascinated by trends in the future. In fact, several years ago, that was one of the things I focused on in a book I wrote. Hi, everyone. The number of people aged 50 and older has been skyrocketing over the past several decades. In addition, the number of single older adults is also growing in leaps and bounds. So today we'll be discussing something millions of people around the world are looking to find. Love after the age of 50. If you're not among this group of love seekers, chances are good that one of your friends or family members is. In part one of this two-part series, we learned about such things as how the dating scene and romantic relationships have changed for those over 50 in recent years, what's become a very popular kind of relationship for those over 50, how COVID-19 has affected this group, and some of the challenges those over 50 face when looking for love. In part two, we'll cover such things as what the future might look like for those looking for love after 50, what opportunities that might present, and we'll get some tips on how you or someone you care about might go about finding a romantic, loving relationship after 50. To help us with all this, we're going to speak with an expert on this topic. She's Francine Russo. Francine Russo is the author of Love After 50, and they're your parents, too. Armed with a PhD in English literature, she became a journalist focusing on psychology, relationships, and social trends. Having cut her teeth at the late lamented Village Voice, she's gone on to write for virtually every publication, from The Atlantic to The New York Times. She covered the boomer beat at Time magazine for over a decade, and her cover stories have appeared on Parade, Scientific American, and New York Magazine. A dynamic and polished presenter, Francine is in great demand as a keynote speaker. Francine lives in New York with her partner. One of the hallmarks of looking forward is we like to look forward. How do you like that? So we like to look into the future a bit. And on that note, I wanted to ask you, what trends or changes do you think we'll see Francine in dating and romantic relationships over the next several years? For example, in terms of how many people this will affect, how people will find one another, their living arrangements, any of that, if you had to project over the next several years, what might you guess? I would say that it's going to continue and increase. The fact that cohabitation quadrupled over, over 30 years, that's going to continue to happen. And so there, I think there's a big opportunity here for attorneys, accountants, and also for 
builders and housing people who want to create housing that will work for a couple that's living together but may not have the same style of living. For example, I talked to a woman who's, um, she described her partner as a hoarder and a bit of a slob and he had this large, she described this large hairy dog. Okay. So he wanted to live together and she said, no way am I moving into your house. And they, they found a big suburban house with a finished basement and the basement became his. The dog lived there, his things lived there. And there were the two upper floors they shared, but under her very strict rules about cleanliness and you don't leave your socks on the floor. And they've been living that way now for several years. And she says, I never have to go down and see his stuff or his dog. They're very happy. And, you know, builders might think about his and hers houses for older couples where they have some their own, some space of their own. In addition, there's still more and more singles um, and particularly women, and they're, they will need, you know, housing that works for them. If we get to a point where our lives will be more normal... Yes. In the sense that we'll be less concerned about things like COVID. Right. What impact do you think that's going to have on dating romance for people over 50 cohabitation? Will it make people tend to go back to some of the older ways of meeting people besides online, like going to clubs? Do you think it'll have much impact? I think that COVID put a break on something and that there is a pent-up demand and when people get free, they're going to go out and date. I don't think many people over 50 meet each other at clubs. I think they meet through friends networks, through doing activities. People meet at the gym, people meet at church. And I think the great majority meet online. Okay, so that trend is going to continue and you see it becoming more common even than it is today even more common and i think there will be continuation of specialized dating sites and services for older people which kind of gets into something else and you certainly touched on it a bit i don't know if there's anything more that you would want to say about this if you want to elaborate but looking forward is also called looking forward because of opportunities given the number of people we have who are over 50, who for whatever reason are looking for love again, or maybe for the first time, we don't know. I'm wondering, you mentioned accountants, you mentioned lawyers, you mentioned builders, dating sites. Are there other opportunities for students who may find out about this program from their parents or grandparents or for entrepreneurs or people who are looking to leave one career and start another one or change jobs, where might they find some opportunities as well if there are any other places? One thing, there are more and more dating coaches. So, um, and a lot of people who have not been successful at finding love and have been looking for a while often will consult a dating coach. Dating coaches have various credentials, but 
they deal with some of the some of them deal with some of the same stuff as psychotherapists do, which is they look at the kinds of choices people are make are making, the way they are considering who to date, changing their selection process to something more real, realistic, changing their negative attitudes to something more positive and realistic. So that's a potential growth area. That's a really good one that I hadn't thought about. My first guest, Francine, on Looking Forward, spoke about solo travelers. We didn't speak specifically about people over 50, but I'm thinking about traveling solo not just because of the large singles market and maybe couples who wouldn't be married and would travel, or maybe they met each other after 50 and they're going to travel together. But I'm also thinking about people, and you alluded to this, who have a partner who doesn't like to travel. Exactly. So what I'm wondering is when you think about the whole hospitality industry, taking trips, lodging, perhaps food, do you see opportunities that might cater to these individuals that we're speaking about? Yes, there are some already. And I think that there are more. There are certain travel tour companies that cater to older people. There are certain tour companies that cater to women only because some women prefer to feel more comfortable traveling with other women rather than being the single woman on a trip with a lot of couples. Yeah. And there may be some that are that are for singles and that, that may be a way to meet people. But I and I have heard of people meeting while traveling, but typically there are a lot more women than men on such trips. Yeah, it's interesting, too. It's one of the challenges that some men face when their partner doesn't like to travel because guys don't tend to travel like on a cruise ship. They don't tend to go with their buddies. No, but they do. I just talked to a couple in their 80s um, in the next month. She's going to Cuba with some girlfriends and he's going hiking in North Dakota with a bunch of guys and camping. Wow. And her attitude to camping is, I'm not going to sleep in the dirt. I get it. Now we're coming to a point in looking forward where I would be crazy if I didn't tap into that vast array of knowledge that you have accumulated on this topic, which is love and romance after 50. And how do you find it, Francine? So I'm wondering, for the benefit of so many people who will be listening to looking forward, if you could speak to some of the great lessons that you've learned or tips that you can offer to our listeners who are either looking for love after 50 or perhaps know somebody who is, it could be their parents, right? Could be their grandparents. You, you, hey, you don't I, know. Think, I think all the young people should buy their, their single mother or single father this as a birthday gift, Mother's Day gift or Father's Day gift, love after 50, buy a copy and send it to your mom. You heard it, people. You heard it here. <laughs> I learned many lessons. And although I talked to a lot of therapists, I also interviewed at least 50 couples who found love in their 50s, 60s, and 70s. And I learned from each of them the journeys that they went on, who was successful, who was unsuccessful of what they had to do to change. So for example, one of the biggest mistakes people make is they have a list of all the qualities they want in a partner, all the boxes that have to be checked. 
So here's the story. There are two guys in their 70s. One of them has been divorced for 18 years. They're both thoughtful, educated, interesting guys. The guy who's been divorced for 18 years has been looking for 18 years for a new partner. He lives in New York City. He wants a woman who is at least 12 years younger than he is, somebody who's athletic and will backpack with him, someone culturally sophisticated, someone who likes foreign travel. And it went on and on and on, and he kept looking and looking and looking. Another guy never dated online. He was he had just ended a relationship, and he had like three or four things on his list. He wanted somebody who had a very positive attitude, and when he looked at her picture, he wanted somebody with a great smile and positive body language. He wanted somebody who was at least who was a professional or semi semi professional who could have a kind of educated conversation. And there was one other thing. Oh, he wanted somebody with good family values, attachment to family. So on a, on a holiday weekend, he, he found three people who spoke to him in this way, and he made three dates. The first woman, she wasn't a professional. She was a semi-professional, but she seemed positive, so he met her. He said, she talked and talked and talked. I couldn't get a word in. I could not wait to get away from her. <laughs> the, the woman he was supposed to meet on the Monday of the holiday weekend called him and said, listen, I realize I'm not ready to date. And she canceled the date. The woman in the middle was a Sunday brunch and she was a teacher. They got together and they started talking and talking and talking and they didn't want to stop talking. And on their third date, he got a phone call. It was from his daughter-in-law saying, your son's been in an accident. He may be paralyzed. You have to come up to New England and be with your son. Well, this woman called him every single day. She was you know, devastated for him. She called him every day to see how he was doing, how his son was doing. The son recovered and their relationship thrived and their wedding is planned for soon. Wow. Where the guy, the other guy, he decided that he must be doing something wrong. So he went back and reconsidered some of the also rents. There was somebody he thinks he didn't meet because she was not 12 years younger. She was three years younger. And he met her and she was most of the things he wanted. And they've been together ever since. He just had to relax his ridiculous, rigid standards. That's a big point then. So having too long a list, being too fussy is a tremendous impediment. It's not being fussy. Not being I hear fussy. people say, I don't want to settle. Well, I don't want you to settle either. Okay. The question is, if you're in a relationship that doesn't check a bunch of boxes, no big deal job, not the right degree, not the right neighborhood, kids, no kids, whatever it is. But this person cherishes you and makes you feel great and makes tender love to you and is there for you when things go bad, that's not settling. That's a great relationship. Yes. That's a great story too. Are there any other tips that you can provide from what you've heard, either through experience of your own or from these couples, the many couples that are part of your book? Yes. Use online dating to work for you. Here's how you do it. You go online, uh, Matt, it, pick whichever site, you know, seems appropriate. I've used match.com a lot because it's the biggest. 
and expect to spend a fair amount of time on it. It takes time, it takes work. And don't think if, I, if I've had five dates in five months, it's been a failure. In fact, you're doing something right if you've had five dates in five months. Mm. So go to the advanced, don't just, don't just wait for people to write to you. Don't just wait for, just don't look at the matches the site sends you. Go to the advanced search function. You may have to find it. You can find somebody who's widowed, has a bachelor's degree or a PhD, you know, has children, doesn't have children, is this religion, whatever. And you can write to these people. In fact, write to as many people as interest you. Don't write back, who cares? And also, if somebody doesn't get back to you, do not think about it as a rejection. This is not rejection, it's not personal. Even if you've had a first date that you hoped would lead to a second date and it doesn't happen, sure it's disappointing. But what I used to do is I would make a list, and I recommend people do this, of 10 reasons why this person didn't get back to you, all of them having nothing to do with something being wrong with you. Mm. So it could be he was dating a woman for a couple of months and suddenly they're exclusive. He has met 50 women and he couldn't find chemistry with any of them. <laughs> that cough blossomed into pneumonia and he's in the hospital. One of his kids is having a crisis. And, and my, the last thing is maybe he's dead. Yeah. It was my list. I could make it any way I wanted. <laughs> none right. of those things meant there was something wrong with me. Right. Those are such great points. Just some follow-ups on that. I have tried to teach my girls something which I'd be interested in your reaction to as it pertains to the topic today romance after 50. And that is, I say, oftentimes, the quicker it sizzles, the faster it fizzles when it comes to relationships. I don't necessarily need you to comment on the veracity of that as much as how much patience is required. Sometimes people want to feel something right away in these relationships. I think that people, what people need to feel is that they want to see the person again, that they've connected with this person, that they have things to talk about, that when, they're, when they talk, they're understood, that it's a, it's a mutual connection. There isn't one of you just talking on and on. You just want to go day to day and see whether it grows. Yes. Sort of a take it one day at a time, one date at a time, yes. kind, of, kind of an approach, not projecting out into the future is this going to be the man or woman I want to spend the rest of my life yes. with kind of thinking? I have a whole chapter in Love After 50 about having the right attitude. And the right attitude is be realistic. Don't be negative. Don't live in fantasy. You know, the, the late great Robin Williams used to say, reality, what a concept. And <laughs> if you can just stay with that, um, you will be in great shape. Be hopeful. But don't marry yourself off after a first date. Excellent. Few last quick questions for you before we get into how people can find out more about you and your books. First thing I want to ask you about is something that you touched on near the beginning of our conversation, which is geography. I can recall, this is pre-COVID, before I met my partner, about how there were a number of women who were telling me, you know, I'm in North Jersey and you're in Southeastern Pennsylvania 
it's too far away for me. I'm not even going to consider this. And it seemed to me as though, correct me if I'm wrong, Francine, that you were saying, come on, like that's not a strong basis to not at least try to connect. It depends. Okay. If you live in a big metropolitan area where you have many, many choices and lots of people to meet, I think that, and you, you're not interested in a long distance relationship, I think that's perfectly valid. But if you haven't really connected with anyone or you live in a place where there are very few available people, I have seen long distance relationships work out very well. Very often they start long distance and then one person, it's, it's such a thing that one person decides to move to where the other lives. And I, one particular case, a couple in California, she lives in Los Angeles. He lives in San Jose. And once they, they really committed, they spend half the month in his house and half the month in her house. And is this a pain in the butt? You bet it is. <laughs> but they consider it worth it because they've met the, they have this incredible relationship. And they've also figured out how to rent out their houses when they're unoccupied on Airbnb. Wow. And they That's take fantastic. the money that they make and they go on luxury trips like to South America and Japan. I love it. What creativity and what flexibility and adaptability. Those are all great skills, and it's a wonderful example. One of the things that's changed with younger people to some extent, I'm curious if you found that it's changing with people over 50, particularly the baby boomers, and to some extent their older brothers and sisters. It used to be it was the man, the man, the guy who had to make the first move, who had to make the follow-up. It was all on the guy. And the woman, the girl, might wait. Will he call me? Will he not? Where are we with that in terms of relationships among people over 50? Gone, 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 gone. <laughs> gone, gone, gone. Completely inoperative. And the same is true. One of the things I did not mention is the people who get together um, and women often drive this. Women now have money and independence and they've lived in traditional marriages and they do not want it anymore. And they do not adopt old gender roles. It's start from scratch. Who does what? You know, you we negotiate it. And if we live apart, we don't even have to worry about it because we have different households. You do yours, I do mine. We just don't worry about it. Wow. So this whole idea of the guy takes the lead and making the calls, it's gone. Gone. I actually find that very refreshing. <laughs> Francine, I've heard about this anecdotally, and I'm sure it's nothing profound I'm going to share with you, but I'd like to have you elaborate on it a little bit here. And that is lying about one's age. I know some people who feel like, you know, I'm 70 years old, I'm 75 years old, whatever it might be, but I don't look that, I don't feel that. Why should I narrow the field and put myself down as being 70 or 75? I'll put myself down as being 62 or 65, and that will open up a whole new range of possibilities for me. What's going on with that? Okay. Age, yes, age is a thing online. And I would say that when I first started dating, I would typically take four years off my age because 
people would say, I, I want to date someone between 50 and 59, if they were 59. Yeah. And I didn't want to like be cut off by that cutoff. And the four years, nobody met me and said, well, you look a lot older. Not yeah. at all. People yeah. usually said you look better than your photograph. I, the more I dated and the older we all got, I found men lied about their age. <laughs> I met men whose cultural references were the same as my father's. <laughs> and I thought, and this guy pretended to be, I would say, and now I just, I just know people who say, look, this is my age. This is a recent picture. That's who I am. Take it or leave it. So it works both ways, but there's a lot of lying. And as long as I think, as long as you don't take 10 years off your age, as long as it's just a little, it's not so bad. I always told somebody on the first date if I thought we were going to have a second date. And nobody ever said, oh, God, you're such a liar. I can't see you again. Because it it's so prevalent. And you also do have to post a recent picture. I thought about, I haven't done this, but I thought about posting a picture of me with a, um, a headlines from the New York Times of that day, you know, like in a ransom, you know, like I'm still alive. Um, but I think people need to be flexible about age. And it's really a question of how we age. Because some people at 70 are hearty and healthy and lively and lovely. And other people at 70 are decrepit and look like a really old person. I couldn't agree with you more. The other thing that I would add to that is I often think to myself, I'm not in the market and hopefully will never be in the market again. I don't plan to be in the market, so to speak. But I think that there are people who, if they didn't know your age from these online dating sites and you just met them someplace, they would think you're 10 years younger than you really are. You know, they would have they might, no clue. Yes. Yeah. No clue. Right. Well, this has been fantastic. Lots of great tips and information, some really good stories, Francine. Appreciate it so much. Now we need to know how can our listeners find out more about you, your two books. And not that the first one wasn't great, and, and mention that one again, but we're focusing today on the second one, but you can talk about both. I know you also get involved in speaking engagements. You certainly do your writing assignments. Anything else you want to share about them, this is your time. You can find Love After 50, how to find it, enjoy it, and keep it. It's published by a major publisher, Simon & Schuster. Oh, yeah. Actually, it's being publicized internationally. In England, there's giant articles. And you can go to my website, francinerusso.com, or go to Amazon or wherever you buy your books and put in Love After 50 with my name, and you will find it there. And you can do it as an audio book or an ebook, or, you know, it's a, it's a major book by a major publisher, and you can pretty much find it anywhere online easily. And say a few words, if you wouldn't mind, Francine, about the other book? Okay, the other book was very successful and it was new at the time. It's called They're Your Parents Too, How Siblings Can Survive Their Parents Aging Without Driving Each Other Crazy. Wow. It really touched a nerve in families and there are people still, still buying it. Um, and if you're in that situation with, of dealing with an aging parent and a, a sisters or brothers, it's still available as an ebook, but I really recommend if that's an issue, you look at 
the chapter in the book that's about dealing with the kids who are finding a way to work around them, because that's so valuable to people who may, may make mistakes. And the other thing I haven't even mentioned, there's a full chapter on having the best sex of your life after 50. And people don't believe it. They say, what? How can that be? I'm changed <laughs> in this way and that way. And I say, exactly. You have to collaborate. You have to work together. You have to tell each other what you need, what feels good, what hurts, you know, and become erotic friends and totally get rid of the performance stuff. Yes, I think you just doubled the sales just by mentioning that <laughs> chapter. <laughs> And you know what I really liked, and then we'll close, but what I really liked was the suggestion that you made that children, possibly grandchildren, may want to buy this book for their parent or grandparent's birthday, if they're right. single, or for Father's Day or Mother's Day. It would be a great gift for somebody. It sure would be. Yes. Francine, thank you again so much for being on Looking Forward. And one of the things that I think we'll be looking forward to are more articles that will be written by you about this very important topic. So thanks again. Okay. It was my great pleasure. Thank you. That's it for part two of our two-part series on finding love after 50 with our guest expert, Francine Rousseau. If you missed part one of this series, you can find it at my website, www.jeff-ostroff.com, where you can listen to it on your favorite podcast hosting site. And if you have any questions you'd like to ask Francine or me, you can also reach me at my website. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Looking Forward. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something. I also hope that you'll tell others about our show. If you have any comments or ideas for future episodes, please contact me at my website, jeff-ostroff.com. That's J-E-F-F-Ostroff, O-S-T-R-O-F-F.com. This is Jeff Ostroff inviting you to join us again next time on Looking Forward.